0: Thinking Aloud. conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery, with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove.
1: Hello and welcome, I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Our topic today is Living in the Bardo Worlds, or Life in the Afterlife. My guest is Professor Stafford Betty, one of the world's experts on our knowledge of the afterlife. He is a professor of world religions at California State University in Bakersfield. He is the author of many books, including Heaven and Hell Unveiled. The Afterlife Unveiled. When did you ever become less by dying? He's written several novels including The Imprisoned Splendor and today we'll focus on his novel The Afterlife Therapist. And he's also written a book of philosophy called Vadi Raja's Refutation of Shankara's Non-dualism. Stafford is based in Bakersfield, California, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Stafford. It's a real pleasure to be with you once again. Good to be here, too.
0: This is the sixth time we've uh, done one of these little interviews, and they've all been uh, delightful. I think they've turned out well, and it's just good to be here one more time.
1: Well, fiction but based on fact, because as I recall, five years ago, or even over five years ago, you uh, and I did a video together on the spiritualist vision of the afterlife. and What you've done now is you've taken your knowledge of the spiritualist literature and converted it into a work of fiction.
0: That's right. Actually, I did it for the first time way back in 2011, ten years ago. That was my first fiction, my first novel, based on my research. And this is a more mature uh, and uh, more daring version of the same. Uh, so it's uh, there has it's, uh, it's been a great deal of evolution in my own thinking about the world to come, and, and this, uh, this novel brings it, brings it
1: out. I guess it's also useful to mention, for the benefit of our viewers, that other novelists uh, have also attempted to base their depictions of the afterlife on uh, the accounts that seem to come through from deceased spirits, from discarnate entities uh, in the spiritualist literature.
0: Yes, indeed. And one in particular is striking. A novel written way back in 1978, the life of me, I can't remember the novelist, but I think I can remember the title. And I think many of us have seen the movie based on that novel, "What Dreams May Come." Um, that uh, was a novel and a film that were had uh, based on a great deal of the research that I had done early on in my in in my career. Uh, I the novel even has um, a glossary at the back, and uh, it explains it identifies some of the books that uh, the novelist used. To, to depict his vision, to come up with his vision. And it's all the right sources that were available at that time. This guy had really done his homework, and uh, it is the only novel that I am aware of that has encompassed all the research that I've done for the two novels that I've written. There may be others I just don't know. I haven't discovered them yet, if they're out there. But I know that there will be many to come,
1: I think that novelist, is it Matheson or Mathiasson? It is Richard Matheson, exactly. Thank you. So that's that's an important work, but now you're really a professional scholar of this literature.
0: Yeah, that's right. So I can claim credentials that he did not have. He had much better credentials as a novelist and as a fiction writer than I have, though. So it makes us even, uh, perhaps.
1: There are different versions, though, of the afterlife in different cultures. There's the Egyptian Book of the Dead. There's the Tibetan Book of the Dead. There's the Western spiritualist literature. Uh, how do you sort through it all?
0: I sort through it um, by a, a careful study of all of my precious sources. And by them, I mean the large number of the dozens and dozens of books that have come down to us uh, from the other world, uh, from spirits who are actually living over there and describing their habitat, their environment, and trying to depict as best they can that habitat through legitimate mediums. And we're always dependent on those mediums to get it right. And if we do enough research, we have a sense, at least I have a sense, that uh, there's enough commonality uh, between the sources to give me the impression that they really are talking about a real place that they, uh, that they inhabit together.
1: I know, for example, the uh, wonderful movie made in Brazil, No Solar, attempts to describe the afterlife in terms that would be very familiar to anybody living in a large uh, western city. It had uh, transportation, it had habitats, houses, people uh, got together uh, socially like they seemed to do on the physical plane. The differences seemed uh, real. But, at the same time not huge, they seemed slight. I agree, and I'm indebted uh,
0: to uh, that. Actually, I don't know that it's a novel or if it's a kind of a a biography. It's hard to say. (laughs) Uh, And I am indebted to that book. I hadn't discovered it before I wrote my first novel. Uh, I think I discovered it around 2012 or 2013, and I was just bowled over by the similarities. In our worldviews, it was clear that we were describing the same kind of habitat. Uh, it was thrilling for me to read that uh, and to have such a reputable authority uh, behind me uh, to support uh, me in my vision. I quite agree. That's that's a wonderful book uh, and and an interesting film that's uh, based on it. I think it's called The Astral World or something to that effect.
1: Uh, yes, it was uh, based on a novel by the uh, Brazilian medium, the great medium. Uh, one writer calls him the medium of the century, Chico Xavier, uh, in in Brazil supposedly dictated to him by a deceased physician uh, who uses the, the name Andre Luiz, although that's probably not the actual name.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh- uh, you, you, you've got uh, you, you've got you understand the credentials exactly as I do too. Those names are precisely correct. Thank you.
1: So uh, let's talk about your novel, The Afterlife Therapist. It's very interesting that your protagonist is a therapist because uh, even here on the physical plane, therapists deal with uh, matters of the soul.
0: Yes, they do. Um,
1: and I I could have made him. Any
0: sort of person that uh, that I that I desired, because of course this is a work of fiction. It's I'm not dependent on, on on the same kind of material that one has to be when one is writing nonfiction. So I created this guy, uh, and I thought to myself, you know, what I want to do is to have someone on the other side who does a lot of counseling, and uh, that is one way to bring out all of the different kinds of characters who are in trouble in the other world. And none of us, when we go over there, are going to be completely, um, you, let's put it this way, properly formed and ready for the kind of life that uh, is there. We are going to need help, and I needed someone who was in the habit of giving help so that he could sort of uh, fit into Uh, this new environment and continue to do much the same that he had done back on Earth. And that's what he does. Uh, I had originally thought to call the book The Afterlife Counselor, but my publisher, being British, liked therapists better. So over there they call uh, a marriage and family counselor basically a family therapist. So I went with that. But basically we're talking about a marriage and family counselor. That's what he did until he died at the ripe old age of 85 back on Earth first chapter describes his death. Chapter 2, we move directly into the new environment in which he
1: finds himself. Well, in the beginning, it's very interesting. He ends up in a hospice situation, like like a hospital for recovering dead people. And uh, he's he's in a bed next to a, a man who doesn't believe he's dead, who thinks he's still alive. We
0: read about this in all of these accounts coming from the other world, um, even some who you would think would recognize that they had died didn't necessarily come to that conclusion within the first minutes or even the first hours or even the first days of their uh, of their recovery after their death. So it's a very common theme that one runs into, and that suggests how similar, in some respects, the afterworld is to our own world. It, it is not some incredible vision of infinity, uh, something that we can't imagine, something that um, uh, is completely beyond um, our experience. It's it's within our experience, uh, but it is also different in radically interesting ways. But in any case, it's not necessarily easy to recognize uh, that one has died. It's tempting to think that one has suddenly gotten very much better, that one has recovered from uh, his ailment. Uh we see a person like that. His name is Rupert. And the only way to convince him that he really has died is to show him a picture of his face in a mirror. And he sees, my God, I I don't look a a day over 40. And then it becomes becomes clearer and clearer to him that something radical has happened to him. Now, he was a non-believer. He was an atheist. He didn't have... He thought that all talk of an afterlife was humbug. So he was not ready to believe that he had had actually survived. But he had, in fact, done just that.
1: And the fact that a mirror was held up to him suggests that in this state he has some sort of a body. He's not a pure energy being. He hasn't exactly evaporated into the great one mind. he he seems to be inhabiting I guess what you would call an astral body
0: that's right and and that again comes through the literature everywhere uh, there's nothing miraculous about dying it's a completely natural process this is natural as a sh- as a snake shedding its old skin and discovering that it has a new shining vigorous skin uh, and that's what happens when we die the uh the Ethereal body that uh, is underneath us right now simply becomes the outermost body when we do this very natural thing that we call dying. So nothing miraculous happens, but something very important and interesting uh, and rather radical happens, that is for
1: sure. And and this other body uh, takes on uh, a more youthful appearance in your novel.
0: It does, and that is universally testified in the literature interestingly and happily.
1: Some people, like your protagonist, uh, chooses, I guess it's a matter of choice, to be a 50-year-old person. Rupert, who you just mentioned, chooses to be a 40-year-old person. I imagine uh, some people would choose to be even younger.
0: Uh, younger or older. And I think that, and this, is, this was my thinking, is that Rupert had done no preparation whatsoever for uh, surviving bodily death. Whereas uh, our protagonist, Aiden, uh, had read the literature, some of the literature that I have read. I, I make him a little bit like me in that respect. And so he was very confident that he would uh that he would survive death. Uh, and he uh, being living to eighty five and being a mentor as an older person, mainly for younger people throughout his life enjoyed the idea of looking more middle aged and so he chose that uh, that appearance and that is very much within our capacity to do we can we can turn our bodies into almost any shape that we want to eventually after we've been over there long enough and and and, and learn how to do that but before that happens you're going to kind of naturally um just sort of descend into uh, the kind of body that uh, your subconscious would enjoy or or think was appropriate for you ideally
1: so after Aiden uh leaves the hospice he uh, a number of things happen he develops mentors he learns how to fly and he has to choose some sort of activity a career for himself even though in in the afterlife Careers are not based. I I don't think careers are based on money at that point
0: No, they're not. Uh, I'm going to um, uh, read uh, uh, It'll take about two minutes to get through the description of the very thing that you just brought up namely Occupations and how you go about finding an occupation Um, this uh, is from the orientation class that Aiden and A couple of hundred other souls who had died about the same time that he did, um, participated in. And I'm going to go ahead and read this. Uh, And this comes from one of the senior uh, teachers, uh, um, basically uh, in in an orientation class (coughs) for these new souls (coughs) who've just come over. These souls have been dead approximately between two and six weeks. So their first orientation class, here it is. Every day we face new challenges and there is much joy in helping ourselves and our clients face them well. But all is not work. Leisure abounds, but it takes an army of souls to organize the games and parties and concerts and sports we enjoy. So ask around or check with career counselors. They have long lists of occupations available and where you go to get training. And take heart, there are no dirty jobs to do here. You'll find cities, villages, universities, landscapes, lakes, seas, beaches, mountains, forests, and every kind of house to suit the tastes of our residents. But no factories, fire stations, sanitary landfills, or smokestacks, and no dentists. Our afterworld is not some fantastic vision of infinity where souls are locked in poses of permanent rapture gazing at the face of God, and no one floats on a cloud while playing a harp. It's a world of intense activity interspersed with quiet sitting in solitude, meditation, and for those who few who want it worship. This sounds pretty good, right? But here's the hard part you don't get paid for your work. You're unsalaried. If you don't find joy in unpaid service, you won't find happiness here. Many of you were used to getting ahead by getting rich, and you'll have to adjust. If you don't, our sector will not be a congenial place we'll have to make other arrangements. So, uh, there are other references to the various occupations available, but this is one of the places to start.
1: Well, when you refer to the idea of our sector, you're creating a, a specific location, and I think it's fair to say that your protagonist, Aiden, who uh, lived a relatively good life as a family therapist, didn't have to pass through what you describe and others have described as as the shadow world.
0: That's right. He's a good soul. He's not perfect. And the novel makes it clear towards the middle after he's done a great deal of counseling that he needs counseling himself. Uh, So he passed quite happily and congenially into a pleasant world, the world that uh, is described in the early pages of the book. Uh, but he, one of his callings is to descend into the world of the shadows and try to help those who are caught up in their various earth addictions. Usually that's what lands a person into one of these shadowy worlds uh, out of those addictions. It's not easy work, and uh, it's often frustrating, and many of the souls simply reject the efforts of these so-called, I call them, missionary spirits. Um to help them free themselves from an environment that they think they enjoy. They don't really enjoy it, but they fear the light even more because the light stings them. They hated anything to do with religion or God or spirituality in earth life. Why should they suddenly discover, oh, it's nice. Now uh, I'm I'm ready to move on into the light. It's not that way. We come into the world with our personalities and our... Um, our affiliations intact, for better or for worse. And for Aiden, it was good because he, as you say, was a basically good soul who did a lot of good work on Earth. And so he's he's prepared to do even more beneficial work in the afterworld, and that is required to make progress. It's not a place where one just goes and and sits back and uh and in and, and and enjoys. Uh, a free pass. One is given occupations to encourage further spiritual growth, and by the time we get to the end of the novel, which I will read the last page of eventually, if there's time, he's ready to move on into a higher world. The The alternative is to move back into a world like ours, usually our very world, our very Earth world, into a reincarnated version of yourself. So there are those two options. You can move ahead or you move back, or you can sit where you are for a long time. But at some point, you're going to get you're going to get weary of life in the, on the astral
1: plane. You're going to want more variety, and that means moving ahead or moving back. Well, you also portray your protagonist Aiden, as engaging in uh, the exploration of other planets.
0: That's the most um, daring of the chapters. Uh, I, I thought long and hard about writing a chapter like that. It's only one of, I think, 29 chapters altogether, uh, and it's an exciting chapter, and it, in a way, is the most exciting chapter in the book because it's rather... It's adventurous. It's, 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 it's an incredible adventure as I see it. And, and the reason that I dared to write a chapter like that is that there are references in some of our sources to... Uh, uh, other planets like ours, uh, where there are similar struggles. Uh, there are references occasionally to uh, beings from these other worlds who are inhabiting uh, our astral space. Uh, and, and there are just too many suggestions from this literature for me to bypass it. The other thing that uh, have always has always made me wonder is, where do our afterworlds come from? We know how uh, our Earth uh, evolved. We know how old the physical uh, universe is, 13.8 billion years. We know that our own Earth is about four and a half billion years old. You know, what about those Neanderthalers? Did they have an afterlife? What about more primitive uh, life forms? Um, Did they have an afterlife? Uh, Did uh, proto-humans who lived, say, 200,000 years ago, Did they go into an astral space? I don't see any indication that they did. It strikes me that one has to be uh, more evolved, more like us, to even be interested in a kind of afterworld. Uh, And so um, that's a kind of an assumption. So what I do is have um, Aiden be one of 48 persons. He is selected as the counselor for this mission to go to one of these primitive planets and create for a planet that is finally evolved enough to enjoy an afterworld uh, and help them make that world, Um, just as we hope and we assume, and this is my assumption, that our afterworld was created. It didn't evolve like our physical Earth did. It somehow was created by some other source, and my guess is that it was created by higher beings who came down to help us into something that we're more deserving of, an afterworld, a continuation of this life, so that we can grow further. This may be all wrong, Jeff, but um, it's something that I'm willing to uh, tantalize the reader with. It certainly was tantalizing to me to even even think about this.
1: Well, I know that Emanuel Swedenborg. Who wrote over 200 years ago some of the most detailed descriptions of the afterlife? Also talked about his visits to other planets and his communication with beings on on other planets. And I I presume you found other sources in the spiritualist literature who who do much the same.
0: Exactly right. Nothing as filled out though as Swedenborg. Just brief references. And uh, I had. It very little help uh, uh, in in writing this chapter. Uh, it's the most experimental uh, and the least trustworthy. I wouldn't want anybody who read this novel to think that I had this one right. I think most of the other chapters I do. I'm pretty firmly convinced that uh, I'm on to uh, a reality uh, rather like what we're going to be moving into in a few short years, Jeff. But uh, that particular chapter, uh, <laughs> we have a lot of fun in it but it, it may not be it may not be uh, uh, realistic
1: well one of your premises seems to be that the the afterlife that Aiden experiences which if i recall correctly toward the end of the book you you describe it as a purgatory uh, even though it's quite pleasant uh that that realm, with all of its different sectors and religions and and buildings and occupations, was really created by the inhabitants themselves
0: right. and And I think that uh, that Catholics have it a heck of a lot more right than Protestants because I think that that the world that we move into, which I'm calling the astral world, has a lot of purgatorial um. Experience is connected to it. It's not an easy place. It's a joyous place, but it is a place where we are expected to work in order to grow. And if we don't work, if we don't become servants to each other and to others, we're not going to grow. And, of course, working is always somewhat purgatorial. Um, So I don't call it purgatory because that has that calls up visions of all kinds of (laughs) uh, negativity uh, and, and harsh treatment and even fire. So, uh, it's not purgatory in that sense at all, but it does have purgatorial aspects to it. So, you're quite right that um, I had uh, something a little bit like a kind of more genial version of purgatory in the back of my mind, because I think that's what the spiritual literature makes pretty clear. Um, they don't necessarily use that word, but it's pretty clear that this is not some lotus-eating paradise.
1: And One of Aidan's responsibilities is to descend into sort of the lower shadow worlds, which you describe as hellish. He has a a, a guide, a a, sort of a bodhisattva spiritual guide who accompanies him, but his job is to try to rescue uh, some of the uh, discarnate spirits who are trapped down in those worlds, trapped by their own thoughts.
0: That's right, by their own addictions, uh, by their own... Uh, they would rather be ghosts without physical bodies living in a physical environment in a very unnatural state. And we call these beings today um, earthbound spirits, and that's, that's a great way to put it, I think. Uh, and, and these earthbound spirits appear everywhere in the spiritualist literature. Um, they're very common, and they can be assisted and are assisted, and there are ways to do it, and spirits have been doing that for a long time. Um, and it's interesting that uh, I'm going to go ahead and just read uh, one more account of, of such a mission. This is about Carla. Carla teaches a class of souls uh, wanting to help earthbound spirits break free of their self-made prison and enter the astral world, and, and uh, Aiden is one of her students. And she has an interesting background, and you'll see why I am reading this. At the first meeting with her class, Carla wore flaming red-orange hair and varied the color with each subsequent class meeting in a manner that is this, that fit the subject of the day. On Earth, she had a practice in New York and committed suicide, a fateful decision that led to years in the shadows. The story of what she went through in that purgatory and how she freed herself was an inspiration in itself, and Aiden and the rest of the class were eager to hear, more, to hear more. And she says, I was healthy, prosperous, and good-looking for a woman of 58. But when I lost my husband to a 30-something bitch, sorry, I still get a little emotional when I think about it, I couldn't function. It was strange. I had no trouble talking to myself as if I were a client. But nothing I said worked. I fell into a terrible depression. I tried every antidepressant on the market, and they worked for a day or two, at most a week, then fizzled. I even considered a lobotomy. Anyway, I didn't need drugs. I needed a healer, a spiritual healer. But at the time, I didn't believe in such things. If I had, maybe I'd still be practicing on Earth today at the age of 75. Instead, I went for the pills and slipped out of my body into a purgatory like the one I'm preparing for you to enter. I became an aimless, roving, earthbound soul. I was locked into a misery, a boredom, a loneliness I could not have imagined. But I was not alone, never alone. Always there was help, and finally I allowed myself to be helped. Her name was Cecile, and today she dwells high above our world. Where would I be today without Cecile's help? She was my savior. So... There we have it. Earthbound souls. Uh, That's one of the great missions, uh, one of the occupations of souls in the astral world. Um, That's one of the ways that you serve, that you help others. Um, It's a common mission. It's described in many, many uh, books about this, about our subject.
1: In, in other words, they hang up around the Earth, they're mostly invisible, they're not really able to uh, enjoy the physical sensations and pleasures of being in a body, but they're not ready to move into the astral world either.
0: Not at all, because the astral world requires uh, work of them that they're not prepared to do. It also is a place where they would find themselves... Living in uncongenial circumstances among souls who are far advanced over them, they would they would be uh, they would be in an environment that felt alien to them. They prefer their very diminished form of living, and to live in a world in a physical world without a physical body is, well, it's 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 not a it's not a full life. What they do typically, this is described. This very example is described in a number of places. Is if they if they die uh, practicing alcoholism, uh, they will find themselves attracted to bars where they will latch onto or as much as possible attach themselves to the bodies of heavy drinkers and drink through them, unseen, unguessed at. But there they are, sort of enjoying the fumes. Can't drink the substance, but they can enjoy the fumes or the presence of the bar uh the the bar environment uh latching themselves onto a particular drunk and and encouraging that person to drink even more than he would have perhaps if he had been inclined to leave the bar earlier so they work a great deal of mischief even though they're not demonic but they uh the, the the impact that they have on souls can be rather demonic even without their intending to be
1: now, and you also describe uh, King Henry I think you're referring to Henry the uh, who who was uh living not in uh the earth plane I don't think he was living in in his own kingdom uh, I, and I I assume a kingdom of his own imagination
0: exactly so uh and and he had a number a couple of thousand people who lived under him um, who uh thought that that they uh were enjoying themselves and did perhaps the best they could living in these in this shadow city. It's a whole city that he has imagined for himself. He's been there for 500 years, and one of the great uh, um, let's put it this way challenges that uh, is served up to Aiden by his mentor is to see what he could do to help this this man who's not all bad, who did terrible things in life. Um, And and has simply refused to move ahead, Uh, has done the best he could to make in his rather uh, twilight world uh, as happier a place as he possibly could imagine. And he has followers, several thousands followers, who who serve him. And so I have Aiden descend into that strange, shadowy, ghost-like world uh, and try to help this man out of uh, his deception, his self-deception. And he fails, absolutely, as many other counselors before him down through the centuries have done as well. But since Aiden is our hero, in the end, he actually succeeds in bringing Henry out. And Henry, as a very humble soul, uh, introduces himself into the world of light, is helped along, and realizes uh, a newer, better, higher, more joyous way of life. Uh, something that he had uh, basically rejected for 500 years.
1: Well, even in this world of light, as, as you've described it, there are conflicts that occur amongst the uh, various people. Aiden meets his, his ex-wife. He meets other people, uh, a therapy client who had fallen in love with him, uh, other people from his earthly existence who have died. And he also encounters a, 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 another counselor there who is jealous of him and his success.
0: He is uh, and and that you bring out something important this is not a world where everyone uh, is is wise or good um, this is a world where people who are rather ordinary uh, but not uh, not darkened evil souls but just ordinary people go you don't have to be a Christian to go into this place but you don't necessarily you don't as a matter of fact you uh, Rise immediately upon dying into a happier, more heavenly sphere because you are a Christian. It's a place where we all tend to end up. Uh, and so there are, everybody over there is imperfect. The only way to become free of that kind of imperfection is to, as the novel makes clear as we go along and along, um, that there are higher worlds and these worlds uh, of higher spirits, spirits. Uh, occasionally descend into this this our astral world and 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 encourage and encourage those caught up in the astral world as Aiden is. I say caught up because eventually one wants to ascend even out of that and move into more heavenly zones, and they are available and they are described by um, emissaries that come down from that world and describe the world that uh, that all of us should be reaching toward. And I believe that this is something that will happen to us when we're over there. We will be enticed to move above and ahead of where we find ourselves, even as we are encouraged to do in this world. There are superior worlds, and a whole number of them, and a whole range of them. And uh, who knows how far we can uh, evolve, and how empowered we can become as we evolve, and how much more joyous we can become as we evolve, and how much more capable of feeling more intensely, every kind of emotion uh, than we feel at this point. Uh, this is described in great detail in many of the. Let's put it this way: it's alluded to in many of the accounts that uh, that uh, I'm familiar with. So you mentioned the uh, the the encounter between Aidan and his uh, and his ex. Uh, he's a he's a he is a, a person who is in a second marriage and a very happy marriage when he dies, a long term marriage. But his early first wife ended in disaster, as many early marriages do. And his first wife has never forgiven him. And she was sort of waiting for him when he came over and she gives him a hell of a hard time. They have a brutal fight. I mean, brutal in the sense of emotionally brutal, not physically, because, of course, there's no way to do physical harm to a person over there. But you can do great emotional damage to uh, another being, and we see it happening uh, in, the, in the instance uh, of Aiden and his first wife.
1: When you talk about emissaries coming from a a higher, more heavenly realm, uh, I found it really fascinating that you mention as such a person, Houston Smith, a man I knew and interviewed many times. I imagine you knew him as well. I do regard him as a saintly individual. Yes,
0: quite so. I I do too. And um, he... uh, has recently died. I think he died, I don't know, three or four years ago or so. And so I have him as a person who uh, Aiden is deeply attracted to. He's read Houston's books, as I have done. Uh, Houston and I were friends. Uh, I actually was one of his students at an NEH um, summer class in Berkeley in 1987. So I, it's quite natural for me to set him up as a kind of mentor for Aiden. Uh, and and he is an inspiring individual uh, who is, as Aiden sees it, uh, on the cusp of rising quickly to the next world. He is so ready to move ahead, even from the time that he first arrives in, in the astral world. So he is a person who has a great deal of, of counsel uh, of, in his own right to give to Aiden and to class that he teaches. Yeah, and yeah, there are other actually historical figures who are mentioned in the novel. But Houston was one of my great heroes, so I set him up as a hero for, for Aiden as well in the next world.
1: Yeah, as I recall, he died maybe only about two years ago. I think maybe it's that more, that, that, that recent.
0: Yeah, he was well into his 90s um, and had a great career.
1: He he certainly did. He was a big inspiration to me. Uh, and I feel very grateful for the, uh, the time that I had with him. So, in, in this sense, uh, the astral world isn't very different from our present world. We have great teachers here, too. Yes, we do. Uh, so, you can see how similar it is. Uh, one of
0: the great differences is that we don't have to worry about physically dying the only thing we need to worry about is, you know, how we prepare ourselves to prepare for a better state eventually down the road. Uh, or, you know, maybe we don't. And maybe we have to worry about what kind of reincarnational form we will take. One of the chapters describes a reincarnation in somewhat great detail. A couple of uh, little girls who were both... Um, in training to become Kathakali dancers in South India have died relatively at the same time. One of them had connections to the uh, father who is married to a woman who is uh, eager to have a child. And the other has no connection to that particular family. But she's farther along in her training, and she's been in the astral a little bit longer so she has, you might say, uh, a, a right to prefer the, uh, the the family, the the incarnation in this particular woman's womb. And so there's this disagreement between the two. They want the same mother, uh, and so the chapter deals with that kind of conflict because this is a world where there is plenty of conflict. One of them having to do with who gets the parent that is most desired if there are two who want it, or maybe even more than two. I don't know if you've ever wondered about that. I certainly have. Uh, And so we wondered together in that particular chapter. And I describe it uh, by the end of the chapter, uh, exactly what happens when uh, an astral being goes into the physical. I don't know that I've got this right, but something like that has to happen.
1: And you also describe this scene and and a few other scenes as as like trials where there's a jury and people are arguing their points of view and ultimately uh, it's decided by uh, independent observers.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, our 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 hero Aiden himself uh, is the victim of a senior uh, counselors or therapists' uh, envy and. Um, He basically is envied because he was the counselor chosen to go on this mission to this other world. And the senior counselor thought that he deserved it uh, and was outraged because it went to this young whippersnapper uh, who simply won the contest in in fair and square. But he became the point of a great deal of envy. Uh, Basically, uh, the senior counselor, uh, brings him to trial in ways I don't really need to go into any detail at this point, but one of the longest chapters describes that trial and how poor Aiden loses it and what he suffers as a result of that loss. Poor Aiden basically uh, is victimized by an envious senior counselor uh, who wants to put him on trial because he's basically too full of himself uh too arrogant and that's the claim uh and, and needs to to be silenced and he's put on trial and there are these three uh wise more senior beings um who are not prejudiced in any way who listen to both sides and <clears throat> and basically the this the the solution that is arrived at is a compromise and Aiden is, is, is not basically sacked. What he is given is um, a punishment. It is a punishment. He's not allowed to practice uh, his therapy for a year uh, at his own level. He can descend into the Shadowlands and do as much help there as he cares to, but he can't practice Counseling in his own domain in the astral world. So he decides to go into uh, uh, Grimvale. Uh, He had a connection with a client whose name is Penny. Um, She is a a very dear person, and she was not ready to uh, stay in the realm of light. And she actually chose to go back into a realm where she felt more comfortable, a relatively high uh, level of the uh, Shadowlands called Grimvale. I'm just going to read to you very briefly uh, a description of Grimvale because it is a good description of the way the uh, astral world, uh, or let's put it this way, the Shadowlands looks not to someone who is a very evil person, but to ordinary schmucks. Listen to this. Penny's a little city of about 57,000 souls in the upper shadows consisted of houses built along dusty, unpaved streets laid out in grid fashion. The houses, with their unpaned clapboard exteriors, looked old and run down. Lawns were splotchy and weedy, and shrubs were untrimmed and parched. Eleven parks broke the monotony of the cityscape. An unusual feature of the parks was an extraordinary abundance of wooden benches laid out along hard-earth paths that ran helter-skelter across the grounds. These benches were filled with residents at all hours, except when there was a city-wide competition of some kind. There were trees, but they looked unloved with patches of green alternating with dead, broken limbs hanging down. A perpetual mist, neither chilly nor warm, hung over the town. It lifted for a while uh, when a Titsan or some other saint from one of the upper worlds passed through on a mission. The center of the town indeed uh, included several dilapidated soccer fields and a church with a steeple, the only notable structure it could boast of. Dogs and cats uh, prowled freely, and a few horses clopped along carrying riders. There were almost no children. It seemed fitting that the city's name was Grimvale. So that's that's the kind of place that poor Aden uh, chose to live to, to do his work for a single year until he became repatriated.
1: Now, you also mentioned Tietzang, and uh, I realize that Titsang is actually uh, viewed as a, a god amongst the Chinese or a bodhisattva with a very particular iconography that you uh, followed in, in your description, and Titsang becomes a, a mentor to Aden.
0: He does. Uh, Thichung is a Buddhist monk, uh, and his whole mission, uh, in, uh, in life over there in the astral is to spend it in the various deep hellish zones in the deepest parts of the shadow land to bring, uh, as, let's put it this way, to bring solace to souls who are suffering intensely in these dark realms. Uh, and, and, and that is, that is, that, com- that has an iconography and a history deep into Buddhism. Uh, titsang is the Spanish name for the Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara. So there are many Titsangs, and they inhabit these worlds trying to bring, uh, out of compassion, uh, various f- uh, freedom, momentary freedom from the suffering that these beings suffer or experience down in these dark realms. So, yeah, Titsang is an... Inter- in- 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 interesting character for me because it was based very much on my knowledge of of buddhist literature and so i thought i would bring him into it. and he becomes a kind of mentor uh for uh for aiden they go down into to the worlds together to do their work
1: and you also have aiden fall in love with uh penny a character who lives in grimvale
0: right she is she there's she's an interesting character and it's 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 there's a long chapter about what brought her into the depths where she landed. She was a person who made serious mistakes uh, back on Earth, and she is counseled by by Aiden, uh, and they eventually become close. After he is forced to go into the astral world to do continual work, she re- he remembers that she actually chose to be there. He looks her up and wonders if he can't live in her house where she was. And and, uh, what began as uh, a client relationship becomes one of deep friendship. And she becomes changed by his presence down there. He gives her a sense of what she can achieve, where she is. uh, And she begins to grow out of her, her darkness Uh, And she becomes an extraordinarily lovable person in the process. Uh, And at the end of the book, uh, he is forced to choose between going with her into a reincarnation back on Earth and moving ahead into a higher realm, into one of the true heavens. And uh, at the very end of the novel, we see how they part lovingly, and wonder if they will ever emerge in the distant eternity, ever contact each other in the distant eternities that lie ahead for both of them. So, yeah, Penny is quite a character. She becomes one of the main characters towards the end of the story.
1: Well, the overall sense that I have from your novel is that every soul, no matter how Fallen and how destitute and how miserable or how elevated uh, there there's room for and for progress and the possibility of progress and that is ultimately what I suppose the afterlife is about and one might say this physical world as well
0: it is and that's my vision of it and and I hope I've got this right and certainly the saints of all the religions uh, encourage this worldview and I subscribe to it that that the sufferings that we go through in this world are well intended. It's supposed to be part of the experience of growth because without challenges, without profound challenges, we will not grow. Um, and so that's the way I see um, all of my personal uh, failures and personal crosses that I've had to bear. Um, you know, they can, you can let them destroy you or you can just rise above them. And, and that, Holds to be true not only in this world but in the next world, and in the worlds to come, even beyond that. As they, as one rises higher and higher, uh, there are more and more opportunities for still greater soul growth. And by soul growth, I mean elevation into greater power and to greater joy. Uh, because we have very limited power and limited joy, but we can become incredibly powerful archangel-type beings or bodhisattva-type beings with tremendous power to do good. Just as if we, uh, in, if we choose to stay forever in these dark realms, we can become totally demonic. And there are beings who do that, and we're introduced to a few of them in this book. Um, but we're also introduced in, uh, to the great souls that have gone beyond. I haven't read the most interesting one based on uh, the great Christian Saint uh, Gregory of Nyssa, who lived in the fourth century, my favorite saint of all time, because he had this incredible view of the afterworld. It was a place where one never, ever got bored, because as soon as one dived into one dimension of God and was deeply satisfied, that impatience would eventually come and you'd want to know more, and there's never an end to the intimate variety and the deep dimensions of the Godhead. And so he viewed the afterworld as continual and everlasting as one goes from glory to glory to glory infinitely. Incredible view, uh, but, you know, in a Christianized version, uh, but you don't need a Christian version
1: to, to encapsulate that view. Would you like to read a passage from that uh, section before we close? I'd love to do that. Let's see if
0: I can and find, here it is. Right. So Gregory, uh, this goes back to that orientation class that I was describing. And uh, at the very end of the class, you see this. Stephen, one of the teachers, has invited this remarkable saint from this higher world to come down and just to give the class a taste of what's up there. As eyes turned to Gregory, a strange peace settled over the class. A few felt as if they were known and loved, and they were amazed Aiden was one of these. The feeling of an inner greatness surged within him and left him in a temporary rapture. It was as if the confines of his infinite soul withered away and a ray of divinity shocked him into a completely new awareness of who he was. A voice speaking English came forth from the glowing oval that housed Gregory. I have risen over the centuries from glory to glory. You can too. Many souls are content to languish where they are. They're satisfied with what they take to be heaven, and they stall. They refuse to live the life of love that leads to the good and the beautiful. I have come a long way, but longer way lies ahead. Those who take it will never reach the end, for the end is infinite. The ecstasy that we aspire to and achieve at one level gives way to a desire for something pure at the next. We are pilgrims on an infinite march. Such is the greatness of the source never-ending bliss, never a final rest, always more as we merge more deeply into the heart-mind of the creator." End quote. The voice coming out of the oval's radiant core paused then continued, "I was once like you. I have not forgotten. Will I will I meet you some day in the sublime reaches of the true heavens? Will you accept the challenge of rising from glory to glory or will you stall? Each of you is free to choose. Choose over and over as you rise. May you, you and I, never stop ascending. Gregory paused again, then said, as if recollecting himself, Visits to this level exhaust me. I'm sputtering out. I leave you my blessings and my love. Following these words, the oval surrounding Gregory's face glowed white, and a wave of love left the students in a second ecstasy. Then the white gave way to gold. And the oval faded away. So what a what a what a vision of the, the sense that we will experience from these higher worlds to encourage us to continue to work and to grow and to love and to build new joy and greater power.
1: Well, Stafford Betty, I definitely have a sense that you yourself experienced great joy in writing this novel.
0: Yes, I did. As a matter of fact. Uh, And that's one of the the reasons I do write novels. I simply enjoy them.
1: Well, I want to thank you so much for sharing your vision with me and with our viewers today, Stafford. It's been a great pleasure to be with you.
0: It has, too. Thanks so much for one more chance to be with you. I greatly enjoyed it.
1: And for those of you watching or listening, thank you for being with us.